Hello and welcome to Give Yourself the Chat. I'm your host, Peter Lewis, and this is the show dedicated to discussing ideas and philosophies to help you live a life of high performance. So welcome to another episode. It's episode 29 of Give Yourself the Chat podcast. I'm joined by Chance Stewart over in the United States. It's now seven o'clock your time, Chance, and I believe with a house with young kids, you're going to have to keep them quiet like I'm trying to keep my puppy quiet. But it's a pleasure to meet you. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing very well. I'm following what's going on over stateside with enormous interest. I think us here in the UK, we take far more interest in US politics than, than our own. It's, it's fascinating. So we'll, we'll timestamp this. You, you have a, a new president-elect, and being somebody that is involved in leadership, now's a time for leadership, isn't it, really? It's, it's really a fascinating era we're living in. You're a professor of leadership, you're a speaker, consultant, and soon-to-be author. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show, and I I guess it's a very warm welcome. But yeah, what a time to be able what's, what's it been like for you <laughs> over stateside? It has been interesting. You know, I have friends, I have colleagues, I have family that are on both sides of our very big political divide. So I have some people on Facebook getting really excited, others getting really upset. It's interesting. It is a new era. We've been hearing about crisis of leadership since the 60s, the 70s, and probably before that, really, if we look a little bit harder. And we've heard that a lot over on this side. It will be interesting to see how things move forward. We still have until January 20th with current President Trump. And if he has been nothing, he has been unpredictable and interesting. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see what he decides to do in his final days. Yeah. Besides golfing this weekend. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and, you know, let's, let's not politicize this podcast, but let's look at leadership and let's look at situations. I know uh, President Biden was talking about bringing people together and the job to be done, no matter what side you're on. It's, it's healing some of those divisions and, and, and leadership. I know, I mean, you're, you're very much on the sort of leadership as a choice. Leadership is about people. So I want to explore some of these things here because you and I are, are in the field of leadership and, and we're very passionate about this. And I'm struck by on your homepage, on your website, it talks about leadership as a choice and, and choosing to be. So let, let's, let's kick off with that. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that leadership is a choice? You know, I think that's really best described by anecdote. Earlier this year, when we were starting to get into a lot of the COVID-19 issues, I was brought in to do a small facilitation for a nonprofit conference. And, you know, I was just, I think I had 15 people in my group by the end of it. It was, you know, what is leadership? What does that look like to a nonprofit? And everyone wanted to take the conversation to how do we bring more racial diversity and inclusiveness into our boards? And, you know, this was right after the George Floyd. So we were really raw still. And the thing that kept on being said was, how do I make my board? How do I make my board? And to be honest, I got flustered. I didn't have the good answer at the time because the racial inequalities, the protests that we had going on hit me hard. I didn't really know how to speak to it at the moment. And it took me about five minutes of being off that call. And I realized I missed the opportunity. When you're talking about how do I make someone do something, you've already missed the point of leadership. Yeah. You can't make people do things, but you can have the choice. You can do what you need to in order to make that change. I try to say, if you want to see more racial diversity in your executive boards, then you need to go out and find those people. 
You need to go be the person that's inviting them. If they don't feel safe, you're the reason they feel safe. Mm. Because at the very least, they know that one person will be there for them. The reality is we can't make anyone do anything. I have a five-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. I cannot make any of them do what I want to. (laughs) I can yell. I can scream. I can holler. I can give cake and candy and donuts. None of those things will make sense unless I put something in their brain that will help them justify it in their world. My oldest, we talk about Disney princesses all the time. Okay, you want to be a Disney princess? We frame it as what does a princess do? They take care of people. Mm. They take care of people. They take care of markets. They take care of everything to take care of the community. So when I talk about leadership as a choice, it's what we choose to do. Are you choosing to get up this morning and troll someone on the internet? Are you going on to Twitter and hitting people up, you know, sending weird memes out? And don't get me wrong. I love the memes, but yeah. we have to think about the impact of them. Yeah. That's... Are we getting up? Are we journaling today? Are we, what are we doing? So, so much of it is around that sort of self-leadership piece, you know, and, and having spent many, many years in the field of leadership, not only in my military career and at the officer academy as an instructor and things like this, I'm increasingly... I've come around a long time ago that actually leadership is really about the best version of you and model that best version for others to emulate or to think, do you know what? I'm attracted to that. I want to do that as well. Because I think so many leaders, especially if you're quite early on in your career or field, think it's something that you do to somebody and you make them do to your point, but it's not. And so much of my teaching now and my coaching programs center on the self Sometimes to the dismay of the audience, you think, well, no, 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 just give me, tell me what I should be doing. Well, no, I, this is the point. If you just worked on yourself, you would become, ergo, a better leader. But it's a lifelong, continuous pursuit. It's not a box to be ticked. I'm guessing that's kind of resonates with you as well. I have started looking at leadership as a way of life, and it's a philosophy of life. It's something you have to do. I facilitate a six-month leadership program. We meet once a month. And I had someone reach out to me at the end of last year and say, hey, you know, I came into your class or your sessions and I thought, what the hell am I doing here? What is this touchy-feely guy talking about? (laughs) All this stuff. And by the end of it, I realized, you know, you weren't telling me this is what leadership is. This isn't you telling me who to be. But you were asking, who do I want to be? And how are people going to see that? My final question is always, okay, how's the world going to be better because you die? Mm. How is it, you know, have you ever heard the philosophy of the two deaths? It sounds familiar, but go on, take us to it. Okay. This is something I always end on because it keeps me up at night. I've been thinking about it for five years. I just got goosebumps. I'm uncomfortable every time I say it. So the philosophy of the two deaths is that we die twice in our lives. The first time we leave our bodies And the second time is the last time someone says our name. Yes. I didn't realize this for a while, but my kid made me realize, oh, Coco, that's what we're talking about. The Disney Pixar movie. Okay. But really, I think about my grandfather. I love my grandfather to death. When he dies, I'll probably, you know, he was a bastard, but he's grandpa. I love him. Mm -hmm. I don't want someone to say that about me. I want my kids to say, you know, dad didn't know the way all the time, but God, he tried to love people. Mm. You know, he may not have had all the tools in his world. He may not have known. I come from a weird place, my background. I mean, I'm the first one in my family, I think, to graduate middle school. 
let alone okay. go on into advanced studies. My mom thinks I'm a doctor. I am not a doctor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so when I think about the last time someone says my name, if that is tomorrow or that is 200 years from now, are they going to say that I was a person of love that tried to heal? Mm, that's very powerful. And, and yes, I, I, I had come across that two death sort of metaphor and the analogy, but it is so powerful. And I think it speaks to, to legacy and legacy doesn't have to be a grandiose thing. It's not a statue that's kind of put up in your name. There's very few leaders that have those put up, but it's really about thinking about what do I do now that will echo and make a difference. And I think that's really quite a sobering thought. And a reminded chance when you're talking about that is I do like to study ancient philosophy, in particular Stoicism. And, you know, that whole memento mori, remember you will die. So therefore, it is not fear death, but just fear that you're letting life go and that you're not making the most of, of life right now. And so much of, of leadership, I think, is, okay, what can I be doing right now that actually will make a, a difference and build that legacy? But legacy doesn't have to be a huge thing. It, it really is, is how people will talk about you. I often say that actually leadership is something that happens when you're not around. It's how people behave. It's how people might talk about you, but it's, it's so much more than you just having to be present. And I think a lot of people, back to your point about how can I make people do things, they associate leadership with something, a position or a title, but it's, it's not that, is it? It's, it's couldn't be further from that really, particularly in this era. Well, especially if I look back at some of the colleges I've worked at in the past, even organizations of all types, you can look and you can see those frontline employees that control the college more than the president does. Mm. You can see those faculty members that have the beat and know what's going on more than our executive teams do. Leadership cannot be a role. And that's one of the things that I'm really trying to do is take back the word leadership and leader. It's not a position. It's not a title. It is the way you live your life and the way that people respond to you. So mm. if you're saying, oh, well, I have a position of leadership, you already might be missing the point. I hate that we call our executive teams leadership teams because a lot of the time when we say that, we're like, okay, the job's done. We're already getting things figured out. Yeah. No, it's not those big grandiose ideas of, I, I like to say the big things don't count. The big things don't matter. So saying that we have a new initiative, that's cool. But what are those little pieces that are going to put it together? Leadership mm -hmm. isn't the big, it's the little things that make things really matter. It's mm. those making sure to say hello to someone. Yeah. Making sure to celebrate people. I've done a couple of, actually, I have a binder full behind me of uh, leadership surveys and personality types, all those fun things we go through. Sure. And, you know, some of those things I thought that I did the best was what I scored the worst on. So when I'm thinking about leadership and those small things, they're the only things I see changing the people's hearts and minds. Yeah. And when we're really talking about leadership, that's what we're talking about. How do we get people to hear us, to follow us when they may not believe in us? Hmm. To go back to politics just a little bit, it used to be that we don't have to agree on everything. We need to come together to figure this thing out. So, you know, it used to be Democrats and Republicans could get together and get things figured out. We don't see that as much anymore. So now in the United States, we're having a question of whether our political leaders are working for us. Yeah. And that's a weird place to be. Well, we, we put them out there. Let's go. Let's figure this out. I want to talk about what has brought you and I to these realizations around leadership. And, and I've been involved in leadership for many, many years now. 
but I've probably studied more about leadership in the last 10 years than I ever did in the first 20. So when I was actively an operational leader in the military, I really didn't take the time to study leadership. I was too busy doing. And sometimes when I look back now on that, I said, gosh, if I, if I knew then, or if I'd studied then what I've been studying now, I, I would have taken a whole different approach. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we've, none of us are perfect, but there are some things that I, I could describe that will just make your toes curl. But I, I wonder what, what has brought you to this, this point? And was it always like that for you with your approach to leadership and your thoughts around this? You know, that is a really good question. So, again, weird background with the family and whatnot. I've been homeless twice in my life. If we go back to after high school, I was easier to go live down by the river in a van. You know, that Chris Farley joke from Saturday Night Live. I've done that while keeping a full-time job. You know, I got back on my feet. It was a year of that. I got back on my feet. I worked in quite a few industries. I was band management, tour management. I was a forklift driver for Foster Farms. I stocked shelves at Lowe's. I eventually got to the point where I was a shift manager for GameStop. And then I got my own store. It was a skateboard and clothing store in the mall that the GameStop was in. And unbeknownst to me, they didn't let me know that it was only a four-month job as I was shutting down the store and going away. It was going away. So, you know... Four months, I had bought a new car. I bought a new iPhone. I was really fancy. I was back when iPhones were a big deal. I even had a new girlfriend and things were going well. And then that happened. That was like 2008 when the Great Recession happened over here. And, you know, I went back to being homeless for a year, mm-hmm. couch surfing from here to there. Eventually, I, my girlfriend at the time said, Hey, here's the deal. You can go start logging with my dad or you can go back to school. I went back to school. I was like, I'm going to be an IT major. I got this. That first quarter back to college, I realized I was screaming at a printer in the library because it wouldn't do what I wanted it to do. I completely changed my major. But I got involved with a program that helped me start doing some more of that interpersonal work, that personal work for myself as well. I did a peer mentoring program. I did a human development course in leadership. And I started to see and take a look at my past. And I realized there's all these little blocks of, I've done all these jobs. What has it always been? Whether it was sales, whether it was management, it was always about the people. Mm. I've said very openly over the past couple of years, the last person that got my position after me, before I started speaking, consulting, I apologized to them for the paperwork and the files they got. <laughs> That's not who I am. That's not who I've ever been. So yeah. I was trying to put myself in this box, in this framework, where I was having to focus on everything but people, and I started struggling, and I started failing. But when I put myself in that people place, I really started succeeding. And I realized that what I was really trying to do was focus on leadership. So my bachelor's is in interdisciplinary studies, which is a really fancy way to say liberal arts. But everything I did there was focused on leadership, communication, sociology, and philosophy. I got minors in all of them because that's where I want to be. I want to be thinking these big thoughts about how we talk to people. I eventually went to Gonzaga and did my master's degree in organizational leadership with a concentration in servant leadership because I started seeing when I was working with people, When I started treating everybody as though I was their customer service associate, as I was trying to make sure their needs were taken care of, things got better. I was at a college where my supervisor and I got really bad, which sucked because she was a great friend of my wife's. 
Right. And, you know, we got to the point where I'm like, why are you treating me like this? Why are we, why are we doing this? She's like, if I treat you bad enough, you will start doing your job the way I want you to. Not wow. that you'll do it better, but you yeah. will do it the way I want to. And so two months later, I said, I'm not signing my contract. I'm not <laughs> doing this again for another year. No, no. And I didn't tell anybody that I wasn't signing my contract. The last day I did a couple quiet goodbyes. And then I found out two or three months later that all those people that I said goodbye to started petitioning me to get my job back. I was offered it back and I still turned it down. But that was because I treated people with love and respect. Mm. I treated people as individuals and I started to see that, wow, we really start to flourish when we treat each other with more kindness. So my path down leadership has always been something I could, I could feel, but I didn't see and acknowledge. So mm. a lot of where I come from was the studying first. It was funny because I don't, I never thought of myself as a person who was a leader. And then okay. I was halfway through my master's program and my mom has a cedar chest with all my stuff in it. It was a huge couple files of, you know, report cards and homework and this. Yeah. And yeah. She handed me this placard and it said Chance Stewart Leadership Award. And that was 12 years before that. And I was like, oh, I am not finding something new. I'm finally opening myself to whatever the universe is trying to do for me. Whether, you know, you want to call that the collective, God, whatever, the powers I could feel pushing me where I needed to be. And now I'm starting to say, okay, yeah, let's do it. I'm going to stop fighting and do what I'm supposed to do. I want to talk about, you mentioned servant leadership there. And I talk about servant leadership in my programs. I've been brought up in servant leadership. And yet... Every audience I seem to talk to, it's a new term. Now, you know, with the work of Robert Greenleaf in the 70s and, and well before that, servant leadership as a concept has been around for a while, and yet it's finding new audiences and it's meeting people for the first time. What's your take, for just for the benefit of the listeners, how would you describe servant leadership and what it means? So I'm glad that you say servant leadership. And you know it. Yeah, I would actually get to say that I've seen Larry Spears, the gentleman who took over after Robert Greenleaf, talked to him on his deathbed. Listen to CERN Decide was a class I took with him just on listening. I am blown away that servant leadership hasn't gotten more traction. Yeah. I mean, some of the essays that Robert Greenleaf started putting together were back in the 60s and 70s. And a lot of people, it's still a new concept But I think it really does refer back to who we were when we were in more of a community state. The U.S. is definitely a place where the individual is glorified. We are definitely, you know, for better or worse, we are trying our best to be good people. Mm. But we're forgetting that we need to be good people together. Yes. And when I so when I hear and see servant leadership, what drew it to me is the whole reason I chose my program, my master's was the fact that they're the only ones that had a concentration in servant leadership in the world. When I started to think about that, I it was right after I had finished with the college where, you know, I got my job offered back to me and I decided to still turn it down. I was seeing that the way we treat people is of paramount. Mm. We live in such a tough time right now. We have more ability to be connected than we ever have before. Right now, we are literally half a world away from each other, enjoying each other's company. True. And yet, there's a feeling that we're getting ever 
distant from each other, despite all the mechanisms for, for being connected, which is interesting and, and alarming at the same time. But coming back to, to, to therefore servant leadership is so, how would you describe servant leadership? How would I describe servant leadership? It's hard. It's like asking somebody what leadership is. You ask mm. 100 people in a room, everyone's going to give you something different. That's why uh, there's so many books on the subject, isn't there? You mean, yeah, that's right. That's why, you know, ours are going to do just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I say sometimes we cannot describe something, but we can feel it. Servant uh, leadership is one of those things for me. You know, uh, we may all disagree on what the description of a leader is, but yes. when they come in, we can feel them. Yeah. They have a presence. They have a being. And this isn't about being soft. Servant leadership is not, oh, well, you're never going to fire someone. No. no, sometimes you're going to have to fire someone for the greater good of everyone else. But when I hear servant leadership, I think about how are we taking care of people first? How are we focused on, you know, the relationships we're going to have? Robert Greenleaf said servant leadership is the decision to serve first. Mm. Isn't that interesting? He said, decision, Hmm. what you choose to do. And there's power in the way that we treat each other. A lot of the times we treat each other as objects anymore. And that's not Hmm. how our communities were based. We're here together putting something out to try to help people and, you know, maybe get a little bit of work on the side, do that sort of thing. But I want to be here with you. Yeah. I am better because of this conversation. And... It's such a hard concept. I struggle being able to describe it. No, but I think you've really landed on something there when you describe it as something that you feel and you know when when it's taking place, but the articulation putting into words is, is really quite difficult. And I, and I, I totally get that. I mean, I, I was schooled in my military days. The, the, the motto of the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, which is you know our equivalent of, of West Point, whatever, is served to lead. And, and it is all about... You are leaders, but you are in the service of others and you are a servant. And, and that is not a weak position. Uh, you talk about actually, I think servant leadership is a very courageous position because it, it often entails vulnerability of the leader and it is about creating safety for people to think and to thrive and do their best work. But it was articulated by my drill sergeant the best, and it was a male-dominated environment. It was all men in the platoon. So the mantra he taught us to this day still guides me was, first my men, then my weapon, then my equipment, then myself. And myself was always the last thing in that chain of events. So for me, if I was to ever describe servant leadership, it's certainly it's an ego-less position, and it is about creating the environment for others to thrive but you are the last person to consider within servant leadership and and that's something people need to get their heads around it is a choice like you say but it is you're the last person in that equation so here's the funny thing to me okay you're taking care of your man you're taking care of your gun you're taking care of your equipment if you're doing that correctly you're probably not having to worry about yourself no it's the same way as Simon Sinek saying leaders eat last. Yes. Love that book. It's changed. I don't, I don't eat until I've seen everyone go through the line. And if that's three hours, I will wait three hours. Yeah. Cause I'm not worried about me. I'm a big boy right now. <laughs> I can, I can go without a meal. I'll be fine. But making sure people are taken care of, that's where we become our best selves. Mm. I don't see people who, you know, step on others to get what they want. You know, this is my team. The second I hear this is my team, 
I'm almost checked out completely. Yeah. Especially as an employee. An employee, like, we're going to have a tough time. But this yeah. is our team. This is yes. the team. It, yes. Ah. It, it, is a, it is a collaborative effect. It, it is us. It is part of that. So it was interesting. You talk about, you know, Simon Sinek's uh, Leaders Eat Last and, and, you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes. And people have often challenged me on this one and said, well, if you were doing that, surely there'd be no, you know, in a very sort of practical, literal sense, there'd be no food left for you. So no, 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 that's the thing. They will make sure they look after you because you've been looking after them. It's virtuous. It feeds off each other. It's not, you've gone last, there's nothing left. There'll probably be more than enough left because you have demonstrated love for them. And Simon Sinek talks about love and lots of military leaders who are vulnerable enough talk about love. And in that, you know, there's no greater love that man has than to lay down their life for one another. So this is about love in, in a very, even in a, in a, in a military sense, in the alpha male types, it is about the love of your fellow human being and creating that safety that Sinek talks about, but helping others feel safe in the pursuit of what they are, they've been hired to do. Sorry, a bit of a stream of consciousness there, but I, I do feel passionate about this, but it's, a, it's back to your point. It's about a feeling, isn't it? It's- mm-hmm. I think that's something that we miss. I do a session on the history of leadership. You know, we go back from the 1800s to today and talk about leadership. And I did this at a conference for Washington State administrators. And I had a VP of instruction, usually very pragmatic people come and say, Chance, you were, you were dancing around something, but you didn't say it. What mm-hmm. was it? Like, are we remembering to treat our students with love? That's not something you can say without losing tenure and getting fired in the U.S. <laughs> How do we love our students? How do we love anybody? I, I struggle right now. You know, there's a lot of anger in the world. That's not who I can be. Mm -hmm. I have to be a person that's sharing love because if I am not, I get miserable. I get sad. I have a lot of hope for where the world's going to go. If I didn't, I'd be in the corner crying right now. Yeah. And I would have been for the past probably 10 years if I didn't have hope for something better. And that comes from love. Yes. And it comes from optimism and it comes from knowing that actually this is the way, even though there may be detractors or we get blown off course. It's like I say to people on my programs is that they often lament, well, I'm doing all this stuff and getting me to read these books and, and, I, and I get it, but will you just tell my boss this or if only he or she would, would do this? And I say, well, no, because that's not in your control. That's your concern. But you should be focusing on what's on your control because what's the alternative? You don't do this and then there's two of you not doing it. Mm-hmm. At least with you doing it, we've got a 50% chance of getting further down the road. And that's it. It's always comes back to your thing about leadership as a choice, but it's something that it's within our control to do. And I think we need to understand and need to perpetuate that leadership is just control what you can control, be the best version of what you can do. And it means that there's one more person in this world doing the right thing by others. I can't control other people, but I know the life that I want to live and the person I don't want to be. And so I read my books. I write my articles. I do my thing, not because it's going to affect anybody else, but because if I didn't, I would not be the person I want to be. The person my children need me to be. The person my wife needs me to be. You know, I'm older than my uh, oldest sibling by 14 years. Okay. So when I think about this, I go, okay, what is my sister's going to think about this? How are people going to view me? And I mean, that's, that seems ego driven, but it's not. Am I going to be a person of love? 
it's hard in this world to be the person you want to be and it takes effort and it's hard to do the things that are difficult. Go out for your run, go out for, or do your meditation. You know, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and a lot of it is taking control and doing the hard things because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. One thing I've been saying a lot lately is we talk about the fact it's really hard to do the right thing when nobody's looking and that's leadership. And I'm saying, Bullshit. The hard thing to do is the right thing when everybody's looking and nobody wants to go with you. Ah, now, yes, totally agree with that. That that person that speaks up in a meeting that confronts somebody because, hang on, we've got these values on the on our, our business wall here, but I don't see any of that in here. That's a really hard thing to do because you may be that lone voice. And, and that is absolutely. And I've witnessed that firsthand. And it often comes from the most unlikely places. You've got all these leaders sat in a room and they're not doing anything. And then the voice pipes up. And you think, well, that's leadership over there. These, you people with your position and your titles, you're just masquerading because this person speaking up, that's leadership. And if you want a lesson in leadership, just go, go emulate that because it's doing the right thing to your point when people are watching, but nobody else is prepared to. That's a very courageous thing for an individual to do. It's the hardest thing to do. It's uncomfortable. It is, it is. And, you know, and, and yeah, you and I will be the first to admit we're, we're, you know, less than perfect, but it's the striving. It's the striving every day, which I think is what, what we're talking about here is, is that what can I do to be, you know, and, and even when you decide to skip a journal day or skip a run or whatever, or you flare up with your kids, I think a lot of it is about recognizing, having the self-awareness to then do something about it, to, to, to be humble enough to apologize, to be vulnerable enough to say, I got that wrong. Leadership isn't about being this idea of perfection. I think a lot of people misplace what leadership is. It's about having all the answers and having, you know, no, not anymore. That may be in a sort of trait-based bygone era. That's what we thought leadership was about, but it's far from it today. We lost that about around the 60s. But it perpetuates, doesn't it, Chance? It still still exists, you know? You have a really good example there, you know, stuff. Flare up with your kids apologizing. I've put myself in the corner next to my daughter. Have you? <laughs> yeah. You've been because on... I wasn't the only one. Yeah. You know, she wasn't the only one that was yelling at me. I was yelling at her. She's already a teenager at six years old. So we're having all sorts of struggles. Yeah. But it's one of those things. Leadership is not about knowing the way, but it's about finding the way together. So, I mean, go, going back to servant leadership, it's not about being perfect, but yeah. it's trying to be the best you can be in service to others. Mm. And so that's why, you know, sometimes it's hard to describe because you can see that and feel that better than you can describe it. Oh, well, you know, chance keeps on messing up. God, you know what? He's here with us. He's messing up with us and not blaming us. He's taking all the blame and still going. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very good idea. Being in in literally in the trenches with them, messing up, but but putting the hand up and, and yeah, there's, so it is, you know, it is about stripping away ego. It's about being vulnerable. It's interesting when you, we say it's hard to describe, but I'm going to share something with you, which actually helps me describe it is, is often I will say traditional views of leadership are often like this and draw up on a whiteboard, a triangle and just do a stick man at the top. And there's the leader at the top and the triangle, the pyramid represents the organization. And it's a very much a top down approach. So think of servant leadership as just the inverted triangle. The leader is now at the bottom serving everyone that's in front of he or she. And their job is just to get out of the way of those 
great people that you've hired. And if that helps just flip the difference between traditional command and control to an enabling, that's kind of what how I try to describe servant leadership. But you're absolutely right. Beyond that, you know, <laughs> even that's even that's an image, it's not words, you know. It's one of those things I've heard said, you know, I saw a president come into a college and he said, I am not here to tell you how to do your jobs. I am here to help you open doors when you run into a wall. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that's where I hear, okay, this is the person I'm ready to start following. Yeah. I'm ready to go. Yeah. There's also something around, it's interesting you use uh, the word following there as well, is that through, and, and it was only when I read David Marquet's book, Turn the Ship Around, and he talks about the leader-leader model and, and how a leader's responsibility is to enable the leader in everyone, which, you know, is what really speaks to servant leadership. And, and again, that's something which is, can jar with people because what do you mean? It's, it's, it's leader follower. And, but no, but you're only following the dogma of, of a bygone age. Actually, now, surely if we're hiring great people, we just need to them to, uh, you know, be leaders themselves, which just really means taking decisions, being empowered, taking responsibility. But again, it's a, people are hearing that term for the first time. And it's something that I, I was practicing, but it was until I, I read David Marquet's book that I thought, oh no, that's a, so that's a nice label because language around leadership is so important. And in fact, his latest book is the language of leadership, which really talks about how our language can either help leaders thrive or wither. So that's interesting. I'd be interested to know your, your thoughts around sort of language and, 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 and how we actually talk to people around this. You said David Marquette. Yeah. So this is why you always are kind to people in your community. I'd actually gotten an advanced copy, a reader's uh, copy. Of, oh, you uh, did? Book. Yeah. I've just got the Kindle version, but it's a great book. Red and Blue Thinking, a red, red and Blue Activity, you know, Blue yeah. for Thinking, Red for Doing. Yeah. 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 I've read about half the book and I've enjoyed it. I got a little lost. What were we talking about? Well, there? no, just to how, I mean, to your point, you just held up the book there for those that are listening, Language of Leadership. And uh, sorry, I, I, probably, I probably mispronounced the surname. I call it Marquette. Marquette really is not, I guess. But he, he talks about how language is so important to enable thinking and to escape the trap of just doing. Because I think the, the bygone industrial age is, you know, just do as you're told and wait for my command. But now it's really how do we enable thinking in others? And so I'm just interested around your thoughts on, on language and, and leadership. So you hit something that's really important to me that I don't normally jump out there on. The language that we use is so vital because really what we're talking about with any language, written, spoken, American Sign Language, my foreign language in college, whatever we're doing, it's all symbology. And mm. symbology only works if we agree on what the symbols mean. So when we talk about leader or follower or communication or team or, you know, anything, we all have to agree what that means. So when I go to work in with people, one of our first conversations is, okay, what does leadership mean to you? And we post them up so that we see that. Drew or David or Sally or Margaret, whoever this is, when they're talking about leadership, here's what their values are in that. And then we find a shared meaning of what that is. Hmm. And then so when we're talking about language and communication, we have to be really, really specific. That's why I'm trying to take those words leader and leadership back because they don't mean position. They mean relational power, not authority. Hmm. So language is vital because without it, we don't know what we're doing. 
That's why, you know, when you go in and you talk to someone that's really in a technical job, you have to say, keep your jargon out of it so that we can understand what you mean. Because we may be able to follow you without the jargon, but once you throw in your very technical terms, we have no idea. (laughs) And that's the same thing with leadership. If we go into exchange theory of leadership or trait-based or relational or informational leadership is a new one I just heard that I've really been enjoying. Oh, wow. Um, Interesting. Yeah. It's the leadership is derived from having more information than everyone else. Okay. Well, that's an interesting take, isn't it? Yeah. That 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 sounds like a power position. I have more information than you there, ergo there therefore I I can lead. Or, it depends on how you want to use it though, doesn't it? If you're sharing that information, absolutely then that goes back into that relational. But yes. if you are ego driven and say, I have all the information, therefore and you're one hundred percent correct, that becomes authority and power. Mm. And I I'm starting to really realize that authority and power are the antithesis of leadership because if that's what you're relying on that means you've lost the battle because people don't like authority they don't like power they like to be empowered and share authority and if you can't get people to go with you then you're done it's over yeah yeah it kind of got me thinking about how i describe to people who are entering leadership positions a lot of my work is with those people that have now been promoted hey you've done a great job now let's look after 10 people that do your job and you know i forget the author of the book what got you here won't get you there i, I what you know technically does is not a solution for leading 10 5 to 10 technical people and it's it's about this idea that leaders need to be comfortable with ambiguity need to be comfortable not having the answers so get better asking questions so linking back to language there if you can get articulate in questions, then then actually what you're saying to the team is, hey, I don't have the answers here, but you do, we do. That is a very powerful position for leadership. And yet so many people come with the thinking that's a position of weakness. Actually, I think that's that's very courageous to say, look, I don't know, but it, but, but get, get smarter asking questions. If you're going to study language, study the language of questions and, and opening up people's thinking, which I think links to the books that we've been referencing and, and what we've been talking about here. in my work, whether it's as a professor, a speaker, consultant, I have found asking the question is more important than providing an answer. Mm. Because yet again, everyone's going to have their own description of what leadership is. Let's ask them really what that is. Okay, you know what your leadership is. Now, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. That is the important thing to me. We talk about, you know, making the choice. Well, when we make a choice, we now have an obligation to act on it. So leadership is a choice. It's an action. It's an intention. You know, when I I set this up a long time ago, and I'll have to pull it back out. But when I talk about my leadership, it's what's my intention? How am I going to act on that? And now how's the world going to change because of it? I have a step process that I was using there for a while when I was working a normal nine to five. You know, when I'm helping people, how am I going to do that? Mm. And I... Now talking to you, I guess I need to pull that back out and maybe share that with some people. <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's great. I mean, it's, I mean Charles, I'm, I'm just looking at the clock here. I said we'd be talking for half an hour. We're now on sort of 40 plus minutes. And uh, I think that's just testament to the passion we feel. And I, I feel that we've barely sort of scratched the surface here. So I, I think we shall have a chat at a future episode. That's for sure. But I just want to give you a chance to 
to tell people how, if they're interested in your work or want to get in touch, how might they may they, they do that to say, either pick up this conversation or, or just to see if you can help them out? Absolutely. The easiest way right now is my website, chancedstewart.com. That's D as in dog in there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I've got a great community of people there. You can find me on Instagram, chance underscore Stewart. Facebook, you can find me, but I probably won't respond because I have too much there politically and I just don't need that in my life. I need more love than I'm finding on Facebook. So, <laughs> Well, I think that's, you know, love has been spoken about during this. We, we, we kicked off with where your nation is at with the president elect. And I think a little bit of more love. And if we've done our bit to have people think more about leadership, love and, and being the servant leader, then I think our, you know, to our point, you know, we've had a go and we've kind of spread it out there. So I, I do thank you so much for joining joining me. I know it's very early for you there over in the States. I appreciate that. I really do look forward to picking up this conversation a little bit further down the road, perhaps talk about the book that you're authoring and some of our other shared ideals around leadership. But Chance, for the time being, thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for your time and having me here. So as you know, I love talking about leadership and uh, we'll have a conversation with anyone about the subject. And I'm particularly indebted to Chance there for taking the time to explore leadership and how leaders need to or how we need to reclaim that term and what it means to be a leader. And I thought there was a really interesting discussion about taking ownership and understanding what it means to lead and going beyond any position or title or any experience that you think you might have. Leadership really is a heart-led, heartfelt profession. It's an ambition. It's a never-ending pursuit of really treating people well, getting the best out of people, and, and I guess getting out of their way in some degree as well. So much to discuss around leadership as as a lot of my episodes do and there's always a, a different angle and nuance to take with it and i guess the study of leadership and the pursuit of being a better leader is an endless quest but it's that quest which in and of itself is fulfilling so i, I hope you enjoyed my episode today with chance and thank you so much for supporting this podcast if you've enjoyed it and you want to engage some more head on over to peterlewiscoaching.com drop me a line, suggest a guest or two that you'd like me to get in touch with to feature on the show that you think would add value to not only yourself, but also the wider listeners of this ever-growing podcast. So thanks once again for your support. Keep yourself safe and well, and I'll see you on the next one.